Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 384 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today we are talking about the docu-series, You Are What You Eat, a twin experiment that was recently put out on Netflix and is getting a whole lot of buzz as these types of pieces often do. We'll cover who's involved, the funding, our critique, what the study that the docu-series was based off actually said, and so much more. Yes, I always love a good shock and awe piece that is myopic or total tunnel vision and doesn't allow a good grounded assessment, if you will. And that's deep sarcasm that I'm speaking from. (laughs) Uh, As you all know, I really believe very strongly that just like the body is designed to be a hybrid machine to use both glucose and ketones as fuel, that I also believe very strongly that the body was designed to be an omnivore, eating both more nutrient-dense animal products, of course, in an ancestral approach in combination with phytocompound-rich and antioxidant boosting vegetables. So, you know, it seems like we're always kind of trying to rescue from each extreme camp. And we have episodes on the podcast, both from our personal experience of transitioning from vegan all the way back at episode 42, which I think was Becky's first appearance. It, it was. On the Naturally Nourished podcast. Gosh, I haven't listened to that one in a while. <laughs> I remember recording it at your yeah, uh, home. Our old apartment. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then we have uh, episode 51, What the Hell? Because I believe that was a rebuttal to a documentary at that time called What the Health. Yes. Yep. Uh, then we have episode 162, the, our holiday gift guide, where we went on a vegan rant. Uh, that was after I had met with the president of yeah. PETA oh, on yeah. a media piece uh, <laughs> when the anti-anxiety diet was released on a radio show. And then we have episode 165, vegan diet a win for the processed food industry where we talked about the game changers documentary and the rise of all of the analog meat products or um the what are they called better or beyond burger yeah and impossible burger yes. all of that yes. all of that good stuff. so today we won't get into talking as much about processed products um but we will talk about bad science yeah. <laughs> and we'll definitely talk about some of the arguments of why a vegan diet might not be the most nutritionally sound approach to eating totally and it seems like this is like a trend of every year or every couple of years we have to put out one of these episodes because there's this big buzzworthy documentary or book or some study BS comes out that got manipulated. Um, and our stance really hasn't changed since 
the right. beginning of, of putting these episodes out. Um, so um, let's just first dive in with some updates before we even talk about all that. Yes. So as we are talking to you listeners that are live and timely, we are wrapping up the month of February. Our 12-week food is medicine ketosis program has been fantastic. We're seeing incredible results. Some individuals with over 15 pounds of weight loss really improved cognitive function, reduced cravings, and starting to explore their metabolic flexibility with food freedom. So as they are deep in the gates and seeing amazing outcomes, we are starting to come to you with another live program that we will release this spring. This will be our second round of our Beat the Bloat live class. So this incorporates four different live meetings. Last We did it actually two years ago. So mm-hmm. last year we skipped a year and currently the Beat the Bloat program is available as an archive. But we're going to do a spring release of a live so that we can handhold you through the process of a six-week gut cleanse and then also help you to determine your progress post-cleanse to ensure that you have resolved the cause of dysbiosis or SIBO or parasite infection and that you now are really resetting your microbiome to work for you, able to kind of reseed, if you will, the good gut flora strains and that you are gaining time tolerance and favorable outcomes from probiotics. So we are spacing out the classes with three week hiatuses between each class. Uh, And this is really done sequentially to support you from the kickoff of the cleanse, a check-in at the midpoint, which would be week four of your six week cleanse. And then we'll be touching base at week seven, which is the start of that bacterial rebound, if you will. And then even three week um, or four weeks technically post that class, Uh, where we'll be talking in June to make sure that everything is on track and ready to rock for sustained, resilient outcomes. So these classes range from April 10th, which is the kickoff, class one, uh, and flow all the way through June 12th. So we'll be meeting April 10th, May 1st, May 22nd, and June 12th. This is definitely something to consider if you've been dealing with some bloating and you're not getting that desirable flat abdomen as we're entering into spring break and swimsuit season. So definitely something that could support metabolic goals as well as hormonal outcomes. We often think of the estrobilome or how your sex hormone is regulated, connected to your gut biome. Uh, We would definitely consider this as a turnkey solution for individuals dealing with cystic acne or skin conditions or concerns, GI distress, so a regularity of either constipation or loose stool or just malformed bowels or not getting that clean, high-fiveable bowel movement to start your day, Uh, and um, really anything in between. So we think skin, hormone imbalance and gut stress as the high drivers to get you in here. But also, as I make the point with the anti-anxiety diet, sometimes your root cause of panic attack, anxiety, depression, insomnia, and other mental health conditions can come back to gut dysbiosis. So also, if you're dealing with chronic stress or mental health concerns, this could also be a program that could be turnkey for you. Yes. Um, I'm super excited to participate along with y'all this round. I wanted to do a cleanse um, two years ago, I think, and I got pregnant instead Um, in between. um, So I was planning to do one, you know, after I weaned Noah and all of a sudden it was like, oh, you missed your 
Mr. You missed your window. So yes. I'm, I'm on it this time um, along with y'all. And um, during that full, I guess it's 10 full weeks, right, mm-hmm. of support, you also will have support on the Slack forum. So you'll have access to a private Slack channel where Allie and I will answer your questions in between classes where we can post recipes and inspiration and just kind of cheerlead you and keep you going. Um, and included within the $99 price, you also get the Beat the Bloat ebook. Um, so that has the entire detailed protocol along with some of the science and strategy behind the cleanse, as well as recipes and meal plans all laid out for you. So it's a really great value to get our brains for four classes, plus us on the Slack for 10 weeks, plus the ebook for just 99 bucks. Yes. So any of you that are healthcare providers or just nutrition nerds and have not done a gut cleanse or know that this could be a helpful resource for you with your audience or your community, this is definitely a high value to jump on board with. The $99 for this entire program, which spans over really three months of support. And this is really important with that Slack interactive component because we often will see things like Herxheimer reactions or unfavorable physiological response to die off from endotoxin. There's a lot more troubleshooting and nuance beyond what we can provide in just a downloadable protocol. So if you've done a gut cleanse with moderate results, or maybe you didn't get good outcomes, or you had amazing outcomes, this could still be a very high value program for you to take things to the next level. Yes, that's so true. I know so many people who've started and quit within the first two weeks. And I'm like, no, it's a sign that things are about to get better if you are having that diet. But I think having our brains to bounce that off of, plus we'll give you the tools to manage and cope with any side effects at the same time to kind of keep you pushing through it. Yes. And stay tuned on the Naturally Nourished podcast over these next couple of weeks. We'll be providing you a lot more gut focused content yes. and also resources of past episodes. So Becky and I have both done over three different deep dive gut cleanses ourselves. And there are episodes, for instance, where I shared on my last gut cleanse and results and outcomes. And I think that those can be really helpful as well. So stay tuned. We'll be sharing those resources upcoming. Yes. All right. Let's just take a second to talk about Wild Foods, our sponsor for this episode before we dive in. Yes. So Wild Foods is a company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. They have everything from coffee to turmeric to medicinal mushrooms, really our favorite food as medicine pantry staples, if you will. And all of their products are going to be sourced from small farms around the globe. They really believe, like we do, that food is medicine and that you need to know your growers or ranchers or stay connected to the producers to fix the broken food system. Uh, They have partnered with us to give you guys 12% off of your order when you use the code AllieMillerRD. And when you're at wildfoods.co, that's W-I-L-D-F-O-O-D-S dot C-O, and you use AllieMillerRD, you can save 12% on your order order, I would definitely recommend checking out their medicinal mushroom blend, which you can add to smoothies and their Cocotropics, which is a lovely blend of raw cacao and maca and turmeric along with nootropics or brain enhancing compounds that can reduce inflammation, support cognitive or brain function and um, reduce that stress anxiety surge that we can get when we're over caffeinated. Uh, so go on over and check out wildfoods.co and use Allie Miller RD at checkout. 
Okay, so let's get into this You Are What You Eat docu-series. Um, I actually watched the entire thing, so don't ever say I don't love you guys. I did it for y'all, <laughs> um, so I would be able to um, speak to it intelligently and, and didn't want to just cruise over you know, the bullet points of what other people said about it. And I did um, not watch did not, it because so. I felt like that would be sufficient. So yes, yes. we didn't need to both do what, that. Byron actually see? started it, not yeah. knowing the background or what it was. He was like, oh, this is interesting. It's health-related uh-huh. and puts it on. And of course, within the first five minutes, I see that Dr. Greger guy uh-huh. um, and I'm like, oh, no. Okay. Um, this will actually be good podcast content. So, um, I'll kind of lay some groundwork and then we'll kind of go back and forth and, and dissect it a little bit. Um, so you are what you eat, um, is actually based on a study that was published in, uh, JAMA in 2023 called cardiometabolic effects of omnivorous versus vegan diets in identical twins. Um, so the docu-series wasn't the study. The docu-series was looking to replicate the results of said study, but the pub- the study was actually published prior. Okay. Um, and so the question of the study was, what are the cardiometabolic effects of a healthy plant-based vegan versus healthy omnivorous diet among identical twins during an eight-week intervention? Um, and their findings, I'll just kind of give the high level summary and then we'll, we'll dig deeper. Um, the findings were in this RCT of 22 healthy adult identical twin pairs. Those who consumed a vegan diet showed significantly improved low density LDL, LDL cholesterol, um, concentration, fasting insulin level and weight loss compared with twins consuming a healthy omnivorous diet. Um, So they took this to mean that the findings from this trial suggest that a healthy plant-based diet offers a significant protective cardiometabolic advantage compared with a healthy omnivorous diet. I feel like those are some really big claims Mm -hmm. just right there. Yeah. Um, So it was single center. It was um, randomized 22 pairs of twins, so 44 people Mm -hmm. total. Um, And each twin got either the vegan or the omnivorous diet. Um, what I thought was really interesting in terms of the intervention just off the bat is the twin pairs were randomized to their diets, um, and they were to follow it for eight weeks and the diet specific meals were provided to them via a meal delivery service through week four. But then from week five to eight, they actually were to prepare their own diet appropriate meals and snacks. Okay. So like half the study, they were on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we know just, you know, from reading various nutritional studies, from seeing how people actually even take our guidelines some of the time, like there's no way to control for every little aspect of that. They were mm-hmm. kind of left to their own devices of like, these are the guidelines, but you make your own food and you shop for yourself and here you go. Right, right. Um, so I thought that was like one portion that was just especially (laughs) problematic. Mm -hmm. Um, and they replicated this in the show as well. And they did show, you know, the twin pairs cooking really vastly different, um, types of meals. There was one set of twins. I think they were chefs and they were South Africans. So they were doing something totally different than like the bachelor who, you know, had to like 
he lived alone and, and was just trying to do it for ease. And they were doing something totally different than these twins that were underweight and actually trying to gain muscle mm-hmm. on this protocol. Um, so there was a big variation for that second half. Um, but sticking to just the um, study for a moment here, they were encouraged to log their food intake using Chronometer, which is an app that a lot of our clients use for tracking. Mm-hmm. Um, and they used this, you know, data for real-time guidance of the participants. There was some accountability, but it wasn't like someone was following them around sure. and seeing every bite of food that they were eating. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, and so when we look at the study outcomes, um, I thought this was really interesting. So, you know, they mentioned the LDL as like the biggest mm-hmm. outcome, right? And that's the cardioprotective um, benefit and LDL did change, right? I'm looking at this chart here to see if I can see the numbers. Um, so you call it out if you see it first. Yes. Yeah, so there's a figure from the research study that we have here that we're looking at, which looks at the median change from baseline to eight weeks. So again, this was during the intensive, was that intensive feeding the first four weeks, Becky? For four weeks. Okay. For so this is the part. whole period of time mm-hmm. when they were provided the food and self fed uh, or self-managing through the chronometer and just kind of having that accountability to track. Uh, And this looked at the outcomes between vegan and omnivorous diets. The big thing that is supported as the gains is that drop in LDL that we see in the vegan diet and then the reduction in overall weight that we see in the vegan diet. But it's important to note that it was not isocaloric, Mm -hmm. meaning that we aren't comparing a vegan diet to an omnivore diet at the same amount of calories. And one could argue, and we see in clinical research, that caloric restriction alone can create weight loss and reduction of LDL value. Yep. Um, And so I think that that's something that, that doesn't really stand firm on the diet itself. And then what's really interesting is that we did see reduction of uh, triglycerides in the omnivore diet, but we actually saw an increase Mm -hmm. of triglycerides in the vegan diet, which would be unfavorable and could be more of a risk factor for fatty liver. Um, We saw glucose levels were a little bit higher in those doing the vegan diet Um, We did see a reduction in fasting insulin in those doing the vegan diet. But again, we can see fasting insulin come down with caloric restriction because that creates insulin sensitivity. Um, We saw a drop in B12 status with those with the vegan diet, which would be unfavorable as well. And so to me, when I'm looking clinically at cost to benefit, the influx of triglycerides was definitely more significant Mm -hmm. than the average decrease of 13.9 points in the LDL, which really is less than for many a 10% reduction of LDL, which again, we can see with various diet therapies and and supplement outcomes. Totally. And and I would point out too, the HDL went up in the omnivore groups. And remember, Mm -hmm. Your HDL is protective. So if anything, those two changes might even cross each other out. Um, or Especially if looking yep. at the triglyceride right. to HDL ratio, right. Right. which we like to do as a marker of insulin resistance mm-hmm. and metabolic dysfunction. Yep. yep. Um, so I think, you know, their conclusions about this being cardioprotective are kind of bunk, mm-hmm. right? Um, and like you said, um, the diet was not isocaloric. So the vegan diet actually ended up being about 200 calories lower Mm -hmm. for um, the duration 
of the trial. So between the food delivery and the self-provided diet, um, the vegans were coming in around like 1,600 calories and the omnivores were coming in around 1,800 calories. And how about attrition or dropout rate? Did, was there any notation on that of the vegans I did, don't, did less follow through I the don't full 12 know weeks? about follow through of the entirety of the study. I would have to go back and I'll link the study for y'all so you can go and, and mm-hmm. check it out. I do know that in the like post um, questionnaire that all of the vegans said it was too hard to follow right? Um, or that they would not be able to adhere to this for long-term versus in the docu-series, you kind of see it go the other way where even the omnivores are like, oh, you know, my vegan twin lost more weight. I'm going to go that way. And mm-hmm. they were really glorifying the results. And I'll get into those in That's a little bit so too. interesting because we've talked also on this podcast about how caloric restriction when compared to carbohydrate restriction, mm-hmm. uh, carbohydrate restriction generally has more sustainability as far as outcomes right. and results. And um, we see individuals having less attrition or fallout rates of medical research when we're looking at carb restriction because it's easier to do Mm -hmm. because of the satiety factor. So I would imagine that even though they were calorie restricted, maybe that was because they didn't care for the food that they were eating. So there was actually less desire to eat and that inadvertently created some of these results. Totally. And, And the vegans were saying, at least in the documentary, this seems like so much food. They were complaining about the amount of carbs, um, in the food or that it was like, I'm eating so many beans. I can't take it, you know, um, to even get close to that calorie level, which is so interesting. No doubt. Um, and we'll link for y'all, um, just where we do a little deeper dive on cholesterol as medicine, just to wrap up that conversation about the LDL, because honestly, LDL can fluctuate up to, I've seen this, you know, in my own clients, 30, 40, even 50 points yes. in like a couple of days time Yes. Um, based on what you ate, based on, I'm assuming everyone was fasted in the study, at least they did that at baseline, but yes. um, based on whether you're fasted or not, based on your stress, your sleep, what else is going on. So just to use that single point LDL, I think is such a moot point. Yes, no doubt. And then at what cost, right? That right. drop of, uh, there is studies that support that every point gain of HDL, for instance, can be a 5 to 6% reduction of cardiovascular incident. Um, and so if you gain four points of HDL, mm-hmm. that can be upwards of a 20% reduction of cardiovascular incident. But if your HDL drops, that would have the adverse effect of actually increasing your risk of cardiovascular incident. Um, and as we've talked before, which we also have with Dr. Stephen Husey Mm -hmm. and the podcast, we can link that as well. Um, Understanding the heart, I believe, which was named after his book, you know, really focusing on the LDL is so heavily influenced by the monopoly of the statin drug Mm -hmm. industry, because that is their kind of greatest claim to fame is that they can modify that independent variable. But we see time and time again, that those drugs don't necessarily reduce incident. Yes. Okay. And, and, you know, in terms of the negative changes for the vegans, um, we also talked about this decreased B12 level and Mm -hmm. some of them saw up to 25% reduction in their B12, um, which I want to call out that can literally cause permanent neurological damage. I was severely B12 deficient when we ran my first Mm -hmm. micronutrient panel as I guess I was just transitioning from vegan at Mm -hmm. that time. 
Um, and this was totally glossed over, not even given the time of the day, also was replicated in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't even make a plug of like, hey, maybe you should take B12 if you're a vegan. Like I would have yeah. thought that they would have at least gotten that little PSA mm-hmm. in there that you might need one supplement, right? And this is where B12 Boost, uh, which is a sublingual delivery of a methylated form of B12 in the Naturally Nourished Supplement line, would be a really important, necessary, not just idea, a very important, necessary supplement for any household members, friends, community members that are vegan. Uh, Because like you said, Becky, that neurological impact, you don't want to wait until you actually have like both how you and I had experienced Mm -hmm. neuropathy Mm -hmm. in our 20s uh, from trying to do something that we thought was health supporting. Yeah, totally. So something to stay ahead of, especially if you do have a friend or family member who is currently vegan, that's a supplement you absolutely want to be on consistently and probably for a good year after you after you decide to transition yes (laughs) and then when we looked at the weight loss Mm -hmm. it's not as simple as just saying that the vegans lost more weight because if we're really looking at the metabolic effects again seeing that triglyceride hdl ratio unfavorably hit would be a marker of fatty liver or likely bioaccumulation of fat Mm -hmm. Um, and so we did see weight loss in the vegan population but we saw more muscle loss where we actually in some of the omnivores saw gain from muscle mass. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and I noted, I like went back and paused the film just because I thought this part was really interesting mm-hmm. in the way they presented it was, of course, again, in favor of the vegan diet. So they were using just weight loss alone. Yep. That's kind of the big thing. But I, you saw them do a DEXA scan and they did put up on the screen what the results were. And so I'll go through these pairs real quick just for funsy mm-hmm. um so omnivore michael lost four pounds of fat and gained 3.5 pounds of muscle so michael um for sure would have reduced his percent body fat and would have increased his metabolic rate now vegan charlie was down three and a half pounds so almost equivalent weight loss but also down 0.5 pounds of muscle um, so he lost more weight on the scale yeah, but he mm-hmm. actually slowed down his metabolism. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had the lady, so Pam, um, who was a vegan, lost eight pounds, one pound of which was fat, but seven pounds Ugh. were muscle. Yes. Um, and then Wendy, who was an omnivore, lost three pounds total. And all of this was also from muscle. But still, if comparing just right. Pam to Wendy and knowing the influence of sarcopenia right. or muscle wasting right. on Seven pounds versus three. actual yep. longevity, yep. right, there would be a more disease risk with that weight loss from the muscle for Pam. Yes. Um, and then vegan Carolyn was down eight pounds, five of which were fat, but she also lost three muscle um, and she lost half a pound of visceral fat. And they really like harped on the visceral fat changes in a couple of these. So she was down half a pound of, of visceral fat, um, whereas her omnivore twin, Rosalind, was down seven pounds, seven of which were from fat and only 0.2 from muscle. So I, I would argue that's about, you know, net nothing, um, mm-hmm. 0.2 pound of muscle. Her visceral fat did go up one pound, which is a little bit suspect. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a little strange to see that when you're down seven pounds. Mm -hmm. But regardless, um, she's down seven pounds and seven of those pounds are from fat. 
Sure. And did we see with the omnivores any macros? Like, did they have guidelines? Was it just that they were eating an omnivore diet or was there any, we know it wasn't calorically restricted because it wasn't isocaloric research. Mm -mm. Uh, How about as far as, did they have to meet 60 or 80 grams of protein or did they have to keep their carbohydrates at a maximum amount? Was there any suggestions or guidelines Um, of how to distribute? Not that they went over in the film. They Mm -hmm. did have like a trainer come on a few times and talk about that it's easy enough to meet protein needs in vegans. There was emphasis on protein for sure. And there was a pair of twins who were, um, they were very lean. They were trying to gain, you know, muscle. And so they talked about sources of, of protein on a vegan diet. Um, and their feedback was like, it's really hard to eat this many mm-hmm. beans or, mm-hmm. um, but they didn't give any specific guidelines that I'm aware of, of how to distribute said calories. It was more of like a food list and there was an emphasis on protein okay. Okay. for sure. Um, but in the, in the, in the guys that you can meet your protein needs with a vegan diet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then let's see this last pair, um, the omnivore visceral fat went from 0.22, um, to 0.21 pounds and increased muscle by seven pounds. Um, okay. so really no change with visceral fat, um, to speak of, but muscle was up by seven pounds. Um, and then his vegan counterpart part, his, Visceral fat was down from 0.37 to 0.03. So this must have been the really lean guys. Um, Remarkable. But they put up on the screen 92% reduction. And it's like he had no visceral fat to begin with. To be honest, he might need a little more to protect his organs. Organs. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And these were, yeah, they were like super lean dudes to begin with. He did gain 2.3 pounds of muscle on the vegan diet. And this was the pair that was like really harping on protein, protein, protein. And they were probably the most active in the gym as well. Okay. okay. Um, and I thought this was interesting too. Um, again, the brother uh, though, that was omnivore more than tripled the muscle gain. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, in the, the film, at least they emphasized exercise and I guess they were given, they were given a program, but there was no um, follow through on were they adhering to this program or were they adding their own stuff in. And so some of the twin pairs did totally radically different workouts as well. Like one would just be walking and one would be lifting weights. And we know that the one that's lifting weights and hopefully feeding that musculature with protein um, is going to likely see more muscle gain. So there wasn't a lot of control um, for the type of workouts that they did either. I just want to point that out because that, you know, does not make a great study. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Um, and then in the film, they added some other facets um, beyond what was looked at in terms of like the cardiometabolic impact. Remember, that was the name of, of the original mm-hmm. study. Um, so they added some other facets. They added this facet of cognitive testing and just wasn't impressive. Um, so at the end, they have like all of these doctors come up and present the findings um, within the pairs of, of twins. And mm-hmm. they did some testing on memory, thought, and processing. And the conclusion was that eight weeks wasn't long enough to see changes in cognitive scores, which is like, duh, it takes yeah. a lot longer. Um, they harped a lot on Dale Bredesen's work, which mm-hmm. his protocol is an omnivore. It's more Mediterranean, mm-hmm. I would say, but an it omnivore, omnivore. Mm-hmm. protocol mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. 
Uh, but they harped more on that the vegan portion of that was the reason that people see, hmm. you know, improvements. Um, but anyway, not impressive. Um, they also harped on TMAO um, quite a bit. Um, and so this is a marker that went down significantly with vegans. And they were like, this means you have tons of inflammation in your body. And mm. look how much it went down in the vegans. They didn't explain it literally at all. Okay. All they said is that it's a marker of inflammation. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because, you know, TMAO is going to be something that we are producing um, as a result of metabolism of animal protein. Yeah. Um, so it's just telling us that those people were eating animal protein. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily TMAO alone isn't necessarily a bad thing. It going down um, might not be a win if it was elevated. Right. We think of potential marker of gut dysbiosis sure. and yeah, risk yeah. of infection, yep. driving mm -hmm. more cardio metabolic risk factor. Yep. But right, going down from a um, optimal range and just lowering right. would not have a protective benefit. Right. Right. And so this just tells us their gut bacteria were breaking down the choline, the carnitine, you know, the betaine found in meat, fish, Animal. eggs, mm -hmm. dairy products. Mm -hmm. Like, again, it just says they were eating meat and the other ones weren't. So, of course, it would drop. Yes. Um, and yeah, TMAO alone, I mean, it has been studied in terms of association with cardiovascular risk and it has when it's high like you said has been correlated to increased risk of cardiovascular events um, but I think those mechanisms are not very well understood and I just thought it was interesting that they're like it's you know inherently bad for mm -hmm. every single person um, we know that an omnivorous diet where you're consuming fiber rich foods to support your gut bacteria like the mm -hmm. type of omnivorous or even keto approach that we have yes. um, can help to mitigate overproduction or excessive levels of TMAO. Right. I was going to say I have seen TMAO elevated in individuals that are doing a carnivore diet mm -hmm. or don't have any of those prebiotic fibers, mm -hmm. uh, and especially individuals that also have a gut infection. So yep. if they have SIBO or if they have candida or parasite, that's when I see the elevation. The first thing I start to think of is doing that beat the bloat cleanse and making sure that they have enough fiber as a binder to facilitate the excretion of this metabolic byproduct. Um, but we really think of in that world, like making sure the individual has sound, good gut bacteria. We bring in a probiotic mm -hmm. and we consider the beat the bloat. Totally. Um, and then they also did like some stuff on VO2 max. Again, I think this was just to get like enough footage to make it look mm -hmm. <laughs> impressive in like a legit study. They had them on the treadmill with, you know, that mask um, mm -hmm. doing like our, all of these tests, but there was never a presentation of those findings. So okay. I feel like there was no change that supported, you know, the vegan diet, I'm guessing. Um, so either nothing happened or not in their favor. And there was just like a silly amount of them you know, running on the, yeah. the treadmill unnecessarily. Interesting. Well, also when we did our episode on uh, the keto immune connection, I believe we talked about that, you know, connection of respiratory infection and the fact that actually VO2 max is optimized when you're making ketones, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because there's less oxidative stress, there's less um, oxygenation, the oxygenation to the uh, blood flow is substantially improved 
in a ketogenic diet. So it's interesting where there's like a, a definite connection of what diet would be superior there wasn't talked about. Right. Uh, and then they didn't make any point because they probably didn't see the results they, they were looking for. Didn't have anything to say about it. Um, they measured biological age by looking at telomere mm-hmm. length. Um, so the omnivores saw no change. And again, this was only an eight, eight week, week period. Yeah. yeah. Um, the vegan group did show longer telomeres. I don't know enough about that subject to say how much longer or what mm-hmm. the measurement mm-hmm. was. I would guess because their diet was higher in antioxidant and potentially even the caloric restriction could yes. influence that. Calorie sure. restriction would because you'd get more yeah. autophagy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, again, no long-term follow-up of like what happens on this diet after five years when you've depleted all your reserves of all of these other micronutrients, right? Right. No doubt. Um, they did a little piece on the gut microbiome. So they took stool samples mm-hmm. um, and they showed that the bifidobacterium um, was up in vegans, stable in omnivores. They didn't go okay. any further into it than that because, again, I'm sure it didn't. It either didn't change or didn't support their findings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's we agree with like eating an omnivorous diet that is full of plant-based fiber. Yeah. Um, right. Yes. No, absolutely. No, um, no diversion there, but yeah, generally fiber good for the gut microbiome and the vegans in, um, the docu-series for sure. were consuming way more fiber, probably to a fault. Like you might not want to be in the room with some of them mm-hmm. after they ate their whole plate of beans. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, vegan farts. Yep. Um, and then there's this like really weird sidebar part that if I was making this film, I would have just cut this footage right out. Um, but they did a little kind of pilot study, um, in the docuseries and there was no mention of this in the original, um, JAMA study. Um, but it was on libido and, um, they took four women who were in the docuseries and they measured their arousal via thermography. Um, and they let the ladies pick out their own pornography to watch. Um, and (laughs) the vegan group showed a huge difference in terms of arousal. Um, but it was four people, you know, two sets of twins. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, it was measured, you know, with thermography. So they were like, oh my gosh, like everyone had an increase in arousal probably because they knew what to expect the next Mm -hmm. time, Mm -hmm. Um, right? The first time, maybe they're more nervous or whatever. Everyone showed an increase in arousal of over 200%. It looks like the vegans were in the 300 percentage and they were like, oh, yours is like a wildfire. Like, look at this. It's so impressive. Uh, But then they let the ladies pick out their own porn each time and each time they chose something different. So it wasn't controlled Hmm in that sense. But it wasn't like cervical mucus no. or something that could be objectively measured. It was just I mean, the, the scan, I guess, was. Thermography. And I don't know how valid And that, that doesn't is. speak to sexual function. No. that would be, when we think of like mucosal no. membranes, right, right. and we think of all of the nutrients like, you know, vitamin A mm-hmm. and it's fat-soluble form and a lot of even carnitine uh, and a lot of the nutrients that are available in animal product, one would imagine that those would be bigger influences on actual sexual function. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they didn't ask them any, you know, survey questions about their sex lives. There wasn't really any of that discussion. They just made it like a big weird sidebar. Um, and again, four people does not a study make. So yes, I digress. I just thought it was 
comical um, and kind of weird. Whoa, this scans off the right, charts. Right, right. Yep. heating up. Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in between the study content, the film went down like all of these little weird rabbit holes. They highlighted some brands. They had some farmers. There was like the teeniest bit about food insecurity it was super random. It wasn't enough to be meaningful, in my opinion. Um, they had the chef from Eleven Madison Park who mm-hmm. switched to an all-vegan restaurant come in. And then they had this biodynamic cattle rancher who was like the one redeeming guy that I thought was going to say something good. And at first he did, but then he talked about how he went to Eleven Madison Park <laughs> for his anniversary and um, then wrote like a beautiful love letter to the chef about how he was going to start eating more vegan food. So it was like, hmm. what? <laughs> why was he in this film to begin with? It was really weird. Um, that Miyoko's vegan cheese uh, brand was a huge hmm. focus. Um, and as, I think as far as like the vegan cheese products go, that's one where I'm like, okay, it's not like terrible. What is it, like There's an almond culture. Yeah, I think it's almond or cashew. Cashew. Okay. Um, they were in the factory all the time with the cashews, but they're using like mushroom in there yeah. and actually real ingredients if you don't tolerate ish. dairy ish. But again, quite processed. Um, at one point, they went to a pizza convention and they were like, check out the stretch on this vegan cheese. It was wow. just so, so random. Um, and yeah, there must have been some financial interest there because she was like a huge highlight. Um, there was a um, CAFO chicken farmer turned mushroom farmer. And so it was this like old dude who had raised, you know, hundreds of thousands of chickens on this property. And he finally one day was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And so they got into all of the confined animal feedlot arguments, which we agree wholeheartedly with I will not eat everything that they were saying. But then they started him growing mushrooms in these like storage containers. And they had, you know, in these warehouses that used to house hundreds of thousands of chicken, they had like a little storage container that had maybe a hundred mushrooms in it. It just like, wasn't, <laughs> I don't think that it financially wasn't is going to compensate for your Byron and I were cracking up about that part. Um, there was a whole part on another CAFO operation where it was spraying feces on neighbors' properties in the whole lawsuit against, um, Smithfield pork. And again, we agree with all of that. that yep. CAFOs are terrible for the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, they did, put some environmental arguments into which like, seemed off they were off mm-hmm. yeah it was like at the very end they were like oh yeah and the environment it's gonna be great um and um you know they they were talking about how meat is killing the planet um the documentary said that agriculture is responsible for 31 percent of greenhouse gas emissions compared to 14 percent from the transportation sector um, now, when you look that up with the EPA, um, it's more like 11% with the agricultural sector and transportation at 29. Mm-hmm. So somebody got their numbers like terribly inverted and skewed. Turned the dial there. a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Or maybe they were pulling from years ago. I mean, it doesn't really make sense at all. Um, and then they touched on childhood obesity for like 10 seconds. Uh, but it was really... <laughs> kind of random and sprinkled within the, the, um, you know, arguments of 
a study and then it was kind of buttoned up in this two seconds of like you'll save the planet plus you're going to lose some weight and and, and i would argue yeah. calorie restriction works for weight loss for sure does child obesity as well sure does <laughs> yep so let's talk about you know we always say um when you're looking at research we have to look at the funding or um instead of trust the science we have to understand who is funding the messaging and kind of what's being cherry picked in the data if you will and i think that there were a lot of conflicts of interest that we saw with this study and and definitely with the documentary yeah so um within the study the um author from stanford receives funding from Beyond Meat. Um, it was disclosed in the paper, um, but he didn't really disclose whether he had ideological convictions mm-hmm. to this plant-based diet. So again, main author of the study gets money from Beyond Meat. And then the director of the film is uh-huh. vegan, the main researcher is vegan, has a plant-based initiative, uh-huh. and it didn't sound like even even the uh, rancher of the regenerative uh, cattle rancher who ate at the vegan restaurant didn't really seem to have an alternative perspective or um, really they didn't examine both sides no, of the story, if you will. Not at all. They did show like beautiful animals raised on pasture and they mm-hmm. did say like, this is the alternative to CAFO, you know, operations, but it's not sustainable and it's not possible. And again, he just writes this like weird love letter and that's how they button up that part of the film. It was so weird. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like <laughs> yep. it. Yep. So small study, short term, probably not enough to truly see biological efficacy or physiological true effects that would impact cardiovascular risk. Uh, there's no follow-up, so we don't know if the vegans have, because of not satiety and having sustainable approach with this diet, if they've, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for, rebounded mm. or um, boomeranged back and have now increased substantially their body fat that was once lost. Uh, we don't know the long-term effects of the nutrient deficiencies and really nutrient deficiencies beyond B12 weren't examined. Mm. It would also be interesting over time to watch anemia, for uh-huh. instance, totally, um, or even impact on just a CBC also examining white blood cell count because um, that can be a marker of nutritional deficiency as well. And they didn't control the food for the second portion of the study, as well as the exercise, the macronutrients, or other factors like stress, sleep, supplements, et cetera. Yeah. So I think don't watch it would be my (laughs) review. Um, Watch something else too. Um, You know, something more redeeming. Like, I don't know. What are you watching right now? Real Housewives. Real Housewives. (laughs) True Detective. You guys have been trying to turn me on to. We just watched Love on the Spectrum. There's a lot of other TV out there that won't turn your brain to mush in the same way that this film will turn your brain yeah but in a better way (laughs) at least you know you're doing it yeah at least you don't think you're getting smarter exactly um before we wrap up just wanting to give two cents on the other end of the spectrum because i think that this is constantly being hit with a hammer more and more so and and um I'll, i'll plan to put out an episode soon on the other end of the spectrum of again why we need phyto compounds which i think we made the point in looking at the marker of tmao uh but even going further you know i think a big thing that now everyone's talking about is oxalates 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 i remember becky i forget if it was pre-mabel i think it was maybe just noah and like someone oh, was I like posted, on your video they're I like he's the, eating lunch. so many oxalates yes. because it was like blackberries or, or blueberries yeah. yeah and um has you know maybe spinach in there or something mm-hmm. like that god forbid 
forbid. And I think that we get very myopic or tunnel vision on demonizing anti-nutrients. And I think that people like Dave Asprey for sure are like, oh, oxalate poisoning, oxalate mm-hmm. poisoning. I had like arthritis, types of inflammation, et cetera. Um, you know, when we look at eating in balance as an omnivore, we have to not just demonize, we have to look at the holistic properties of the food. So it's like, do blueberries have oxalates? Yes. Does kale have oxalates? Yes. Uh, do blueberries have anthocyanins? Yes. Do blueberries have vitamin C? Yes. Do, uh, leafy greens provide us, um, unique compounds like campferol, which have been shown to have anti-cancer effects. Uh, do leafy greens have lutein, a really powerful antioxidant that has been shown in research to support vision health, etc. And, you know, whenever my big kind of argument to this is whenever I'm doing like a super greens cube in my smoothie, I'm generally, I'm always adding in a scoop of naturally nourished grass fed whey. And I might even be adding in raw milk or yogurt to that. And we know in research that calcium blocks the oxalate impact and that we can actually see in clinical double blind placebo controlled trials, how supplementing with calcium or consuming dairy based foods can offset the influence of kidney stone formation, which is really the extreme world of oxalates in the body. Um, and so when we eat foods in a traditional setting, when we eat foods in a balanced synergistic approach, we don't have to obsess about these myopic concepts or the consideration that a plant toxin is going to harm your body. Someone that has a very damaged gut might need to rest from having plants because yes, there are anti-nutrients and lectins and they can drive some gut dysfunction for an individual that is susceptible. But for the majority of the population, those phytocompounds are going to have disease fighting properties that clearly outweigh that nuanced anti-nutrient that some influencers out there are shouting from the hilltops. Um, and my argument always comes back full circle for, you know, in a feeding study, if it's actually controlled, um, like we've seen with sulforaphane and broccoli consumption, especially broccoli sprout consumption, et cetera, If the body produces more glutathione or actually enhances its antioxidant production from the stimulus of consuming that food, that that net yield is going to be of benefit for the body. So just kind of putting my two cents in there in closure of, you know, this vegan documentary is definitely not an argument to go vegan, but also, although we do want to consume traditionally sourced animal products, we still need the diversity of the plant kingdom to support optimal health. Totally. And when the carnivore documentary comes out, we'll talk about that one too. We sure will. <laughs> we sure will. Although at least the carnivore diet isn't relying on processed foods. I'd yes. be much more, if I had to choose one, well, yeah. I would choose carnivore, but because I don't have to choose one, I'm going to go in between. <laughs> yep. And I mean, that's why we'll use like a bone broth fast or totally. things like that yep. to, as a restoration mode. Um, and I'll never, I, I don't see a therapeutic need to use a vegan diet. I'll no. say that very clearly nope. to heal the body. Nope. Whereas I can see the use of a carnivore approach totally. for short-term acute healing, but to really see sustainable, optimal health, we need to eat in both areas of focus. Yes. All right. I think we did it. So go ahead and share this episode maybe with a friend or a family member who is raving about you are what you eat or is thinking about becoming vegan or Mm -hmm. is vegan. Um, Hopefully we provided a 
balanced look at the research or really lack thereof research findings that are impressive um, and go ahead and leave us a five-star review of the Naturally Nourished podcast wherever you listen on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or all of the places. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.